I think it was back in December, it was around Christmas time before Christmas, uh, my son and I were having a conversation, he's eight, and uh, he was telling me about someone he knew, and then he made the definitive statement and said that this person is most definitely a Christian. And I thought, oh, and I asked him, well, what makes you say that? Like, why do you say that they are a Christian? And he said, well, they have to be a Christian because they sing Christmas carols about Jesus being born. And, uh, you know, in his mind, if you sing Christmas carols about Jesus being born, I guess that's what makes you a Christian. And it kind of got me thinking, what is it that makes us a Christian? And, and how do we understand it? And do we have a clear understanding of what that is? And, uh, and so we're going to dive into a series talking just about that. What is it that makes a Christian? Is it Christmas carols that are sung by people about Jesus' birth? I mean, probably you would know some people that sing Christmas carols about Jesus' birth and You'd say, I don't know if they're all that Christian, right? So what is it that makes a person a Christian? Maybe, maybe it's people that wear, you know, a gold uh, cross around their neck or hang a cross from their rearview mirror or people that stand in front of crowds and thank God for what he's done for them. Maybe that's what makes someone a Christian, right? Like that, that's got to be a Christian. But I bet you know some people that have crosses in their cars and around their necks and some people that stood in public and said, I want to thank God. And you're like... I just, there's something about them. I'm not sure if they're all that Christian, right? Maybe it's people that do really kind of Christian type things, like religious things, like go to church every week and sing songs and read their Bibles every day. But then again, I bet you know, because I know some people, and I've known some people that showed up in church every week and they read their Bibles sometimes and they even sang some songs, and yet they didn't seem to be all that Christian, Maybe it's something you have to be born into, right? It's like if your parents were Christian and your grandparents were Christian and you kind of self-identify as a Christian and, and, and maybe, you know, because you live in the Western world or you're American, ah, surely then you're a Christian, right? But I bet you know some people who had Christian parents and Christian grandparents and they self-identified as Christians and maybe they were even from the Western world, maybe they're even American, you're like, I don't know if they're all that Christian. But at the same time, isn't it true that you probably know some people, I know some people that, hey, they most definitely are Christian. And some of these people, they sing Christmas carols about Jesus' birth. And some of them have crosses on their necks or in their, in their, uh, in their cars. And, and some of them go to church every week and they read their Bibles and, and they sing and they, they are really, truly, they are Christian. And, and, and some of them, they had Christian parents and Christian grandparents and they came from the Western world and they self-identify as Christian. And I know it's hard to believe, but some of them are even American. And they're actually Christian, right? So why is it that we say, well, some of them are and some I'm just not so sure. What is it that makes a Christian? Do you know that the word Christian showed up in history uh, many, many years ago in the first century. But in our Bibles, it only shows up three times. The word Christian only shows up in our Bibles three times. And it wasn't, it, when it first shows up on the pages of history, it was used as a derogatory term to describe a group of people that were often called something else. They were called disciples. And the word disciple actually shows up in our New Testament a bunch of times, almost 260 times in the New Testament, and 230 of those are in the Gospels. And in Acts, it shows up 28 times. But here's the interesting thing, then it disappears. 
And as Paul wrote his letters to the churches, some 13 of them, he never used the word disciple. And as Peter wrote his letters, he never used the word disciple. And as Jude wrote his letter, he never, and John wrote his, his letter. It, it kind of disappears. It, it, and almost like the, the words that took the place of disciple was the brothers and sisters. So it's interesting. So what is a disciple? What is a Christian? Well, the word disciple literally means like a learner. A pupil. It's like if you had a teacher, it's like this teacher is going to be my teacher. I'm going to be the student. Maybe a, a modern day equivalent would be like an apprentice. An apprentice. But maybe the best word to describe what a disciple is, is the word follower. And it's interesting. As Jesus called his disciples, he actually used this word. Check it out in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, as Jesus calls his first disciples. He says this, follow me. Follow me. Would you come? Would you be my apprentice? Would you be a learner? Would you? But more than that, would you come and follow me? And then he makes an interesting statement. He says, follow me and I will make you. The early disciples understood as they would come to follow Jesus, something drastic would happen in their lives. A transformation would become apparent in their lives. Following Jesus would be something they would do. They would step into the relationship, but Jesus was about to change them. And here's the interesting thing about Christians. Have you found it interesting that we actually have expectations of Christians? You have expectations of Christians. You actually have a definition of what a Christian is that's actually quite a bit like Jesus. You actually expect them to be different. You expect them to be changed. It's why we say things like, man, they do some Christian type things and they might even self-identify as a Christian, but they don't seem all that Christian. Why do we say that? Because you have expectations. In fact, if you're not even a follower of Jesus yet, you have expectations of Christians. There's Christians that do some things and you're like, I just don't understand why they do that. I, I'm offended that they do it. Why? Because you had expectations. You actually had a, kind of a definition of being a Christian that was pretty close to Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you. So what is it that Jesus was going to make? And this is where the idea of what Jesus is saying becomes kind of circular. It's kind of interesting. I'll say it this way and then I'll continue. Jesus says, follow me, and then us following him results in him making us into people who follow him. That's what he was going to do. He said, come follow me, and I'm going to make you. I'm going to change you into people who follow me. Maybe another way to say this, he said, I'm going to change you into people who are like me. This is what following Jesus means. Come follow me, and I will make you you will be someone who is like Jesus. And isn't this some of the expectation we have of Christians? It's like when Christians don't act Christian, what do we even mean by that? What we mean is, I thought you were a Christian. Why aren't you acting like a Christian? What we mean is, you're not like Jesus right now. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were someone, we intuitively know that this is what a Christian is supposed to be. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this 
and kind of unwrap a little bit of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're brand new to faith and you're like, ah, I don't know about this following Jesus thing, I'm so glad you're here and I hope you come back next week and the week after as we kind of unravel and unwrap uh, uh, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus because undoubtedly there's probably some things about a follower of Jesus that maybe you've missed and maybe you misunderstand. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here because over the next few weeks, I think along the journey of following Jesus, we can begin to misunderstand what it actually means. And we might uh, have a, a misunderstanding. We might uh, not have a full understanding of what it looks to be a Jesus follower. So I'm so glad that you've joined us. Now, our mission as a church, I don't know if you knew this. I hope you knew this. But our mission as a church is to see people become devoted followers of Jesus. This is, uh, we didn't come up with this in the sense that this is a mission that was actually given to us by Jesus. We'll, f- we'll read the passage later. But this is, this is something we kind of put in our own words, but this is something that Jesus gave us. Now, when I say our mission as a church is to see people become devoted followers of Jesus, it does not mean that the mission of the building, like the church building, is this. It means that each one of us, because each of us together make up the church. The church means gathering, the assembly of people that are in a movement towards Jesus. That each of us individually, this is our life mission. This is what we are about individually. And as we gather corporately, this is what we are about. This is what we live for. This is what we, what, what we do and this is what we want to do. To be a church, to be people that see others become devoted followers of Jesus. But a couple of years ago, the question started circulating because we kind of defined, hey, this is where we're going. And we're all going the same direction. But then the question was posed, well, what is a devoted follower Because, I mean, we can all be on the mission, but if you define it this way and I define it this way, and do any of us define it really all that well, we really need to define what is a devoted follower of Jesus. And so we started to wrestle with this. And uh, I don't, if you've been part of Mount All of any length of time, you know that I'm a pretty simple person. Like, if you want a really smart pastor, sorry, you're stuck with me. I like to simplify everything, and here's why. Because if it's not simple enough for kids and adults and seniors to get it, we're not going to remember it, and which means we're not going to do it. So, you know, for me, it's like, how do we simplify this idea of what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus and catch the essence of it? So we started to wrestle with this, and last uh, April or May, our, our staff got together. We wrestled with this question uh, over an afternoon, like, what does it mean to be a devoted follower? And here's the definition that we came up with, which we think captures what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Ready? Growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live. This is what a devoted follower, this is what Jesus was anticipating when he said, come, follow me, and I'm going to make you. This is, this is what, when, when the early Christians were first called Christians, it was because they were, they were doing this. When, when, when Jesus said, you're my disciples, you're a learner, they were going to be doing this. Growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live. What does this mean? It, it has some similarities to the kids game. You know the kids game, follow the leader? Follow the leader. The, the way that works is, I mean, the goal of the game is to mimic, copy the leader. Well, let's be honest. For kids, the goal of the game is to be the leader. And then it's chaos because 10 people all want to be the leader. But if it works properly, one person's the leader and everyone else is trying to mimic, imitate, do exactly what the leader does. And as it relates to being followers of Jesus, there's a similarity, but there's one big difference. And I'll talk about that in a bit. But there's a similarity to this. As we come to follow, to be someone who lives like Jesus would live, we have to understand there's one leader. We're not the leader. 
Jesus is the leader. He, he is the one who gets to call the shots. He gets to dictate terms. We take our cues from him because we are growing to be someone who live like he would live. And so the goal of, of, uh, of, of the game is to, to, to mimic uh, the leader. And this is also true of discipleship, that we live like Jesus would live. But there's one big difference. And follow the leader, the goal is to do exactly as the leader did, to do exactly as the leader does. But in discipleship, as a Christian, as a follower, this is not always the case. We do not, and we've not been called to do or to live exactly as Jesus lived. And this is important. Growing to be someone not who lives like Jesus lived, but rather to grow into being someone who lives like Jesus would live. And it's an important distinction because we are not called to do exactly as Jesus did in all things. In fact, it's not even possible. Let me, let me explain. If you're going to do exactly what Jesus did, it would mean you would be born of a virgin. That's what Jesus did. It would mean at age 12, you'd have to get lost from your parents because you were at temple. That's what Jesus did. And at age 30, you'd have to find John the Baptist, wherever the guy is now, and you'd have to get baptized in the Jordan River. And on top of that, you would have to be a Jewish male, because that's what Jesus was and what Jesus did. I'm sorry, ladies, you're out. And Caucasians and Asians and pretty much everyone, it just puts a lot of people out, right? We can't be followers if that's the definition. And the question, we're not to do what Jesus did. And on top of that, you would have to die on a cross at age 33 and then rise from the dead three days later if you were to do exactly what Jesus did. As I told you, it's not possible. Now, some of you are thinking, I think it's still possible. I think I can, I can be all those things. Let me put it out of the realm of possibility for all of us, okay? On top of all of what I just said, you would also have to give up Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and trade in your smartphone for sandals and a white robe and a blue sash, because that's what Jesus did, right? I don't know about the last part, but... You get it, right? It's not possible. And you, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't even want you to be him. He was already him. The world only needed one Jesus. But what Jesus called us to, when he said, come follow me and I will make you, I will make you into someone, growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live if Jesus were in your shoes. This is what the call of discipleship, and there's interpretation to this, and it's a wrestle for us, right? You know, the Apostle Paul actually gives us a picture of this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Be imitators, do things the way I've kind of been doing them as I follow the way Jesus kind of did things. But you know the context of this? The context of this, Paul has been talking about food and conscience because there's some people that are like, you can't eat that. And others were like, no, you can eat that. It's no problem. He's talking about the, the struggle between what you eat and your conscience. And do you have freedom or do you not have freedom? And Paul says, hey, by the way, when it comes to food and conscience and freedom, don't use your freedom to abuse other people or don't use your freedom to cause someone else to stumble because we want people to come to salvation. Right? The, the point is, put aside your freedom. I have the freedom to. Yes, you do. But don't use your freedom to keep others from the kingdom. 
Here's why. Because what did Jesus do? Did he use what he could for his own benefit? No, he did everything for the benefit of others. Now here's the thing, we don't even know if Jesus ever dealt with this specific situation of food and conscience. The gospels sure don't tell us that story. So Paul in essence is saying, here's an example, not exactly what Jesus did, but exactly what the principle of his life was, which was put others above yourself. And now as you apply that to this situation of food and conscience, do the same. Be like Jesus would be if he was in our shoes. And you can apply this to all kinds of other situations because there's going to be all kinds of other areas where you have freedom and someone else doesn't and someone else has a conscience on and you don't. And so apply this, put others above yourself in those situations. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, being a disciple, a follower, a Christian is growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live. So I want to ask you, Maybe in your situation, you're a single mom with kids and two jobs. The question you have to wrestle the ground is, how would Jesus live if he was a single mom with two jobs? And how can I follow his example? That's what being a Christian would be. And, and as a senior, what would it look like to grow old? How would Jesus grow old if Jesus were in my shoes? And as a husband and as, as a wife and as a child with parents, as someone who holds authority over others, how would you hold authority if you were to live like Jesus would live if he had authority over others? And, and if you're someone who's under authority, how would Jesus live if he was under authority? How would you live if you're going to be a follower of Jesus? See, it's not just doing exactly what Jesus did. It's following what Jesus would do if Jesus were in your shoes. In fact, the, the disciples actually show, show this to us in the ministry that they do that was different than Jesus. See, Jesus, in his ministry, brought 12 men, and he spent three years with them. He didn't work a job. Day and night, that was discipleship. But as far as we can tell, the apostles never commanded that of the followers who would come later, and they didn't even model it. Now, does that mean they missed following Jesus? No, not at all. They followed Jesus. They continued to invest in people, preach the gospel, and spread the kingdom just as Jesus had done, but not exactly the way Jesus did it. They were following the example of Jesus. They were like Jesus if Jesus had been in their shoes. If you're a, an oil worker, two weeks in, two weeks out, you need to wrestle with, if I'm a follower of Jesus, what does it look like for me to be like Jesus in the place that I've been put in? in my life if you're an employee or an employer what would it look like to follow jesus it's really important like jesus would live the other important word some of you are like man he's taking a long time to define this. it's really important the other important word is the word growing growing see for many of us we have a picture of christianity of what it means to be a christian that it's simply about a destination right it's like say this prayer and you get heaven right and I think it's an incomplete picture of what Jesus said when he said, come follow me. He didn't say pray a prayer. I mean, praying a prayer can be really good. Giving your life to Christ can be really good, but it's more than just a destination. It's about the journey. It's about the process. It's about what Jesus would do to make you into his image. What Jesus would do to make you into his image. So being a disciple is someone who's growing. Because if we took that first part out, we wrestled with this as a staff. Someone who lives like Jesus would live, I mean, I feel that every day. I'm not perfectly like Jesus every day or I wouldn't live like he would live. But here's the thing. 
if it's growing to be, that means doesn't mean how far away you are. You can take one step, and you're a disciple. You're a follower. See, the word follow is, a, is an action word. It's a verb. It's, it, it implies movement. It implies stepping into it. doesn't mean how long you've followed Jesus. There's still more following to do, right? It's not like you ever arrive. It's like, well, I guess I made it. It's like, yeah, when you get to heaven, you've made it. But we follow on this side. You know, a growth chart of discipleship, a growth chart, maybe this is a picture of your life, often looks like this, right? It's like, yeah, I'm doing really well. Uh, total failure, just blew up, right? Like, I just missed it. And oh, man, I'm doing good again. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I'm flatlined. I don't know if I'm growing. I don't know what. And yet, along the way, it's like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward. But this is following. It's a wrestle. It's a struggle. And yet along the journey, hopefully there's been steps made, even as you drop down, you're a little bit further along the path of following Jesus and you're allowing him and in relationship with him so that he is making you into his image. Growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live, the way Jesus said it is follow me, come step into relationship, come after me and I will make you, I will make you. So I will make you into my image. I, you will become more and more like me. Well, what does that look like? Again, I told you earlier, I'm a pretty simple person. So I'm going to break this down even further. There's a few spheres that Jesus particularly makes us into his image. Three, and we see these in scripture all throughout. And I want to identify them to you. The first one is when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. What's he going to make you? He's going to make you into his image in these three areas. Our identity our actions, and our mission. Our identity has to do with the very core of who we are. When Jesus said, follow me and I will make you, he says, I'm gonna give you a new identity. Your identity will be in me, in Christ. Our actions has to do with our behavior, begins to look more and more like Jesus. It's changed. And then thirdly, our mission. Our mission, what we live for, the purpose of our life is changed as well. And here's the deal. Sometimes what we want to do with, the, with Christian life is we take one of these, right? It's like, I'm just going to pray a prayer and then live however I want. I think we have a misunderstanding of what it means when Jesus said, come follow me. And some of us are like, well, I'm just going to, you know, let him change my, my I'm, going to, I'm going to, you know, change some of my behaviors. I'm going to start acting more like Jesus. But we never allow his identity to overtake us. We've never put our faith in him. And we've never maybe given him our future. But here's the thing about these three is they're not hierarchical or uh, one comes after the other. So I'm going to put them in a triangle because each one actually intersects with the other. And sometimes along the journey, it starts with some of our behaviors starting to change and we start following Jesus and our behaviors and we don't even know if he's the Messiah yet. And along the way, we realize, oh, you are who you claim and our identity changes. And then our mission changes and they interact with each other. And the growth, the, the growth of being a follower of Jesus, all of these have, uh, 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 they interact with each other, but each one affects the other all the time. But again, as I said earlier, I'm a simple person. So no one's going to remember this, right? You're going to go home, eat your lunch, be like, ah, I forgot that. So here's what action, identity, and mission spell. Aim. I know it's lame and corny, but it's going to help us remember. As we consider being followers of Jesus, being, growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live, the aim of being like Jesus is that our actions, our identity, and our mission come under alignment of him. 
that our actions, our behavior, our identity, who we are and what we live for are brought under Jesus, that we start to look like him, that is the aim of discipleship, the aim of being a Christian, a real true Christian. Now, some of you are thinking, did you just make this up? I haven't seen this anywhere in the Bible. I told you earlier, there's a passage where Jesus gives this great missional statement. He says, here's what you're going to do. These three things, action, identity, and mission, show up in that passage. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is a famous passage. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's about to be ascended to the Father. He's leaving the earth in his physical form. So he's about to go to the Father, and then he gives them this last word to his followers. He says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. By this he's saying, This is who I am. You want to know my identity? This is who I am. I have been given all authority. Every, I am the ruler. I dictate terms. I am the one who is in charge. And because I'm in charge, I'm going to give some of that authority. I'm going to give you authority to do something. I'm going to uh, commission you into a new thing. And here's what he says. Here's, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go or as you go, here's the new purpose of your life. Just as Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you. Now because of how you have been made, go see others be made in the exact same way. Just as you become followers of me and have been formed into my image, go see others who are formed into, this is multiplication. This is the mission side, right? You have a new purpose. Go and make disciples. This is the mission. Then he goes on and says, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This has to do with identity. See, baptism, and we're going to look at this next week, baptism has to do with identity. It's seen being baptized. The word baptism means to be plunged or to be overwhelmed, to be overtaken. So as you are baptized in the name of the Father, you are, you are, you are uh, uh, overtaken, you are plunged into the name of the Father. You have a new identity. You're his children now. Brand new identity. You're, you're brought into and um, plunged into the identity of the Son. And you die with him and you ri- rise with him. And you are uh, uh, plunged into the name of the Holy Spirit, which means as you have put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God actually dwells in you. Your, your identity's changed. You're not who you were before. And then he goes on and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. This has to do with our actions, our behavior. To be a follower of Jesus, to follow Jesus, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. And then he said to his disciples, as I have made you, go make others. You have a new mission, a new identity, and a new behavior. The aim of your life has changed. It's been brought under the person of Jesus. And then he goes on and closes it by saying, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You will not do this alone. I am with you. I am part of what you're doing. Growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To continue to step into the next step. What is it that Jesus has for you next? Step into that step as you live in obedience. And as he changes us to be more like him, it affects our actions, our identity, and our mission. Next week, we're going to dive into what does it look like to have be given a new identity. We're going to start with that one. But as I close today, I want to go back to the passage I read earlier where Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And for those of you who would say, I am a Christian. 
Those of you who would say, I am a follower of Jesus, I want to leave you with a question. Can you say, along with Paul, what Paul said? If there were people who were going to follow you, what parts of your life as you consider, hey, if there was someone who was going to mirror my life, someone who was going to follow me, what parts of people following you would you be like, yes? And what parts would you be like, ugh, don't do that? You know, I think the great mirror of humanity is children. If you want to know what you're like, just have children. I see my kids, I see me through my kids so, so much. And, uh, because here's the thing, kids just, they want to follow the example of their, their parents. Kids so often want to mimic their parents. That's why there's all these cute pictures. And I bet you have pictures of when you were a kid where like you're a three-year-old and you put on your dad's like winter boots and they're up to here and you're like trying to walk around, right? Or your dad's gloves or you had your mom's high heels and dress and you're tripping down the stairs. And it's like, that's so cute. It's like, they're trying to mimic you. You know, it was interesting. You know, when my brother was seven or eight, he was young. He's like, mom, Next time you give me a haircut, I want you to cut my hair like dad has, right? Because I just wanted to be like dad, right? And so the next time he, it was time for his haircut, my mom cut his hair and uh, cut it like my dad's haircut. And uh, after he looked in the mirror, he's like, no, mom, that's not it. Cut it like my dad's hair, like up here. He had a receding hairline, right? Like, I don't know if we can do that, son, right? The thing is, kids are a mirror. They, they, they mimic parents, and so often I see th some things in my kids and I'm like, yes. And then sometimes I'm like, oh no, I did that. Don't, you don't want to, no, don't do that. And I'm like, if you had kids or if there was someone who mimicked and followed you, if you're a follower of Jesus, what parts of following you would you be like, yes, tell the world I'm proud of that part. But are there some parts where if there was someone who followed you, you'd say, oh no. And you know, sometimes my kids, they followed my example before they ever seen my example because they had my DNA and I'm like, oh no, you need a new identity. You need Jesus, right? And Jesus changes our identity and he changes our behavior and he changes our mission. And as you think of your life and the things that maybe Jesus still wants to change in you, those areas where you'd say, oh, I hope no one follows that part of me what might that say about what jesus is still wanting to do and what would it look for you to be someone who's growing taking the next step to be formed into the image of christ in your actions your identity and your mission let me pray with you father thank you for your word and thank you that in in all the ways we fall short you have invited us in said, come follow me. And you would be the one to change us. But it's something that you also call us to participate in because you called us to follow you. And so, Father, as, as we consider where we're at and some of us maybe are on the front end of faith or maybe on the front end to the front end of faith, we're not even sure we want to be in the faith. Uh, you've invited us. And what would it look like for them to maybe take a next step towards you? And for those of us who would say we are followers and we want to be followers of Jesus, as we consider that, that idea of follow my examples, I follow Christ, and the areas that maybe we aren't following you, Jesus, not well, would you help us 
as you continue to make us into your image. Give us the strength and courage and wisdom to step into that as well. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Would you go with us? Thank you that promise that you made that you are with us to the end of the age. As we go this week, we praise you and thank you that you go with us. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.